Welcome to Into the Mothlight podcast, this time with the artist-filmmaker Julia Parks. Julia's practice encompasses film, animation and photography, often using series of photographs and projected 16mm film. Through this medium, she explores the different relationships between landscape, place and people, often focusing on the west coast of Cumbria. Julia is currently living in Hoyk in Scotland as part of a six-month residency with Alchemy Film and Arts as part of their The Teviate, The Flag and The Rich, Rich Soil programme. In our chat, we discuss Julia's love for exploring the geography, industry and history of a place through the people who live there. We talk about her time at St Martin's College and hours spent in the darkroom. We also talk about her 2021 film Seaweed and how she came to be interviewed about hand processing film and seaweed on the television programme Countryfile, which, as the name suggests, is all about the British countryside. I ask her what it means as an artist to have a six-month residency and how she translates research into images. On her website, Julia talks about being inspired by the work of Jonas Mikis, Margaret Tate and Maria Menken, and how she developed her practice by attempting to recreate the works of Maria Menken in particular. Into the Moth Light My work is quite material-led, I'm kind of into like being quite hands-on, and I sort of ended up going through this period of sort of essentially very much dissecting a film and then trying to like remake it within that um, style. So I think Marie Menken's Glimpse of a Garden um, became a film that I was like really interested in, um, I think because of its kind of unusual soundtrack um, of this kind of like very loud whistling and the fact that it was quite felt quite freeing. I was very attracted um, to that film and I decided to try and remake that. Um, But I also would do that alongside trying to recreate Carl Blossfeld's like black and white photographs of plants. Um, But I couldn't find the same plants that he could find. So I'd use plants I could find in London. So like taking this kind of approach of copying in some regards, but also not necessarily being able to copy in like a super accurate way. And then sort of like, experimenting with that and then putting some of these different experimentations next to each other like I like John Balzasari's like waving goodbye to boats so I was kind of like that sort of nostalgia as well I was kind of attracted to and um, which I felt some of these um, filmmakers also had in their work um, so I've always been interested in pl- plants and I remember my whole like dissertation at university was looking at the representation of plants through film um, and that included also looking at David Attenborough documentaries and looking at the crew um, that made all the kind of really elaborate stop stop motion sort of plant films and then contrasting that with 
um, the artwork of Marie Menkins, her glimpse from the garden, and then also looking at um, Rose Lauder's work as well, and sort of looking at the different approaches that um, filmmakers had taken to documenting the landscape and plants, and like how that had created like very different like results, um, and like what mechanics they'd used to actually do that. You mentioned St Martin's College earlier, so that that must have been quite a big deal. So was always the intention to go to a really big established art school after studying art um, locally in the north of England? So I did my foundation at Carlisle, um, and that was, like, brilliant. That was a really, really great experience. And then I applied for a few different colleges, and I had an interview at Slade, I applied to Kingston. Um, so it seemed like I wanted to go to London. I did also apply to Glasgow. I didn't get into Glasgow. I didn't get into Slade after my interview. Um, the Central St. Martins interview went really like, well, I felt really confident and then did actually get in. Um, I don't, in terms of like, obviously Central St. Martins had like a good good reputation Um and I think I remember being keen that I found somewhere that had a dark room because on my foundation I had started tinkering a bit with like cyanotypes and I was using the dark room at Carlisle and I remember like dismissing Chelsea because they didn't have a dark room so I was like I'm not applying to them so obviously the dark room I'd already set my sights on like a place with a dark room um, which sort of seems interesting <laughs> You, you went um, from, you know, essentially a small town in the northwest of England to St Martin's College of Art and Design via time spent in Japan as well. So how did the kind of cultural and geographical shifts inform your practice back then, do you think? I'm just trying to think of the work that I was making when I was a teenager. Like, foundation wasn't necessarily super place-based. It was like, I remember making a big piece about endangered languages um and being quite like like again like methodical in a way that I approached that like going through every and I created this like big like photograph of all the written languages in the world that were endangered and then I filmed people like telling me jokes in different languages and then I also made a series of pots um, and videoed myself like breaking some of those pots so that was kind of led very much by a particular subject um, that I'd found out about, um, which I guess probably relates more to my like interest in geography um, that I'd learned about at school. Um, then when I went to London, again, it was like sort of trying on the skin of all these different artists and thinking a bit about their work and re- recreating it in some way. And it wasn't really until sort of leaving university or the end that I really really wanted to go like back to Cumbria like I had like a massive yearning to go home and like move home and that then I went back because I worked when I was a teenager I worked on like on a farm like that was very much I'd worked in lots of jobs but then when I was like 15 I got this job on this farm it's a rare breed farm and I ended up going back there after university and sort of just photographing like the everyday activities on the farm then sort of photographing like other like everyday activities like the shrimp trawler and I went out with like two guys who run the shrimp trawler 
and I was sort of like then photographing like the boats that were coming in um, inspired by some of the previous boat films I'd made in different parts of the um, the UK based on like Marie Menken's sort of work um, stop animation sort of inspired stuff um, but then I guess I started becoming more interested in some of the, like the stories and the land, like the shaping of the landscape and people's like work in relation to that landscape and how the landscape had been shaped which isn't really something I was super aware of when I was a teenager but then started like becoming like much more of relevance and interest to me as I got older yeah that's like covering quite a big time period but does mm-hmm. that answer the question it does because I was really interested about that because obviously you've you've made made work in Japan and Norway and the north of Scotland but it, it's that kind of west coast of Cumbria that I think is is the the location that you've gelled with just for the the things that you've just kind of talked about into the moth light into the moth light podcast Each crafter was getting his, his own share of the sea, but at the same time, seawood was so valuable and so precious for manuring the ground. When it was in short supply, they would go to any extent to get a cartload of seawood. So let's talk about seaweed, a 16mm moving image artwork that explores the folklore, ecology and history of seaweed in North Scotland. Voiced by seaweed harvesters, workers in the alginate factories, environmental activists, archaeologists, seaweed farmers behind the Miracle Resource. The, The film includes archive footage, there's oral histories and contemporary documentary footage of people working with seaweed. Tell me about the the origins of, of this um, this beautiful film and, and your fascination with, with seaweed as a topic. So I've all, like since I moved back to Cumbria in 2015, um, I made quite a significant like series of films in relation to like landscape and work. Um and when I was, um, I was also working part time at an organisation called Signal Film and Media, and who are in Barrow, and um, specialised in making films and like heritage projects. And um, through that, I was com- well, not actually through that project, through someone I met at Signal Film Media, um, a woman named um, Rachel Capavilla invited me um, to do a miniature like heritage projects and I said I would be interested in exploring um the relationship between um this island which is Roe Island which is just off the coast of um, the town of Barrow uh um using seaweed to develop a film image because I'd seen it done I've always been interested in the relationship between uh, material um like a material and its geographical location that's kind of being quite important like how does the material link to 
a film that I'm making or a place um, in some ways. And so that was, I proposed to Rachel that I would do a film made using seaweed and um, I kind of experimented with, well, I didn't actually even get to experiment. She told like the BBC Countryfile were making like a documentary off the west coast of Cumbria and I have no idea how this connection but she told them about my project and then they ended up like wanting to film it but I hadn't actually tested it at this point I just know that the German filmmaker Daggy Brundert had made a film using this method so I had like one two weeks to kind of really experiment with developing an image using seaweed and at first I didn't get any results and then I started to get like these really kind of impressive results actually and like very I've always done like a lot of hand developing um, and I would say that the results that I got from Row Island were comparable with like using an off-the-shelf developer and I made like a very short film which is kind of not really what I see as a film but more of an experiment um, developing a whole piece of work that was just developed in seaweed um, documenting Row Island and documenting myself developing with the seaweed. This piece of work led on to quite a lot of other pieces of work in the meantime, but I became interested in the fact that people had collected seaweed from that place for industrial purposes um, in the early twen- like early 18th century, and the archivist um, had sort of showed me these records. And then um, through other conversations with other local people, they'd sort of said but you know that like the seaweed in this area is really like contaminated with like the rem- like the pollution from Sellafield um which again was sort of interesting for me because having grown up next to nuclear well n- close to a nuclear power station like that's always been like kind of quite in that kind of environment um like all the kids I went to school with like a lot of their parents were employed by Sellafield there was all these like rumors about it being like like obviously there was the rumors about its connection with um, leukemia cases in the area but i was also interested in still kind of exploring the role of seaweed and feet like quite a few years i was just looking at like there's a seaweed farm farming um i vi- went to northern ireland and visited um a seaweed farm like britain's first seaweed farm in rufflin um, to see what they did that was very much just me like going on a bit of a road trip sort of keen to go and see that um and like looking at sort of um what industry wanted to use seaweed for but also thinking about how it had been used historically um for kind of soap making and linen retting and all of this kind of history which i feel like i didn't know anything about um and that's when i proposed to make a film focused on people's relationship with seaweed originally i'd wanted to make it in northern ireland and because of and actually make it in rufflin because of this like island where they had the historical seaweed industry but they also had this like more contemporary manifestation which was the seaweed farming Um, but because of covid it just wasn't possible which is when i started looking at making it within northern like parts of scotland um, and again, I wanted to focus it on just one area, Oban, but it, I was like being connected. Like people say, oh, you need to go meet this person or what about this person? So I ended up sort of traveling 
like from Oban up to Wick um, to meet um, seaweed harvesters and then to Ardnamurkin and then down to Ulver. So it ended up being like in lots of different geographical locations, um, but was very much led by this sort of looking at the ways in which people were using seaweed historically how that had left its mark on the landscape, but also thinking about how people are using it today. And then also imagining like what is the future of seaweed? And it's been interesting having started that project, like how many more people were looking at seaweed as well. Like at first, when I started it years ago, it felt like, oh, there's not like so much. But then as I made this film, like there's all these different people who were like using it in different ways or interested in it for a whole different um, range of topics. Um, so so yeah so that film was kind of made within that sort of environment and we will put a link to the trailer for the film on the website and you can go and have a look and uh, find some more information about that film and as well as making the film of course you did incorporate um, a series of talks and workshops and, and screenings as part of the wider project yeah that's kind of always been quite like workshops and sharing 16mm like and photography has very much always been like part of my practice like I've always been sort of either employed as a kind of creative practitioner in some regards like running workshops or um, working as a project manager on heritage projects like to support my practice Um, but also like interest in sharing that kind of knowledge I guess a 60 millimeter tends to be quite equipment heavy um to some regard and I've always quite enjoyed like sort of running kind of developing workshops or introducing like cutting up archive films um with a group of people so it wouldn't necessarily be like what I would make as my own like final films but is a process that I really have enjoyed kind of working with other people on um and yeah so seaweed like it was important that we invited um that i invited like various other people from various different backgrounds so meek swanborn who wrote the seaweed collector's handbook and we had jason biles who um is a seaweed um, forager and elsa mclellan is like really heavily involved with like campaigning against trawling of seaweed and like including their voices um maybe in the film but also like as part of a wider discussion was important as well as like running workshops locally so people could get like hands-on experience with some of the subjects that i was kind of looking at as well and i I get the impression from listening to you talk um before about seaweed that you really um immerse yourself in, in in the research I get a sense that you love that part of your creative process as well yeah I've like increasingly I, th- I don't I'm I think obviously we all get influenced by the context in which you're sort of living and working and I have ended up um my last job was working on a big national lottery heritage funded project to explore this huge photo archive um, by a family called the Sankeys from Barrow. And even though I've always like said, oh, work, that kind of project management work is a bit separate to my own like personal making, a lot of my work has ended up sort of looking at that period, quite historical in some ways, like looking back at the early 20th century um, at kind of industry or how people worked. And then that's sort of been feeding into 
to the work and like do it like I do like looking for kind of oral testimonies of people who've worked in those contexts or like songs which might be related to those um, places so I think archive research has ended up being incredibly kind of important to to the work that I make um, looking for photographs that might be relevant so when I made seaweed I collected um, like any postcards off eBay that were related to seaweed collecting within Britain um, because again it wasn't like it's not a massively known history I think Ireland is kind of more known for its seaweed whereas England it's hard it's very hard to find a huge amount about people's relation with seaweed and then Scotland there is and there was like like I could find Scottish seaweed postcards and I've kind of created my own archive um for for that so yeah research um, reading like speaking to people um and my work is very much led by listening to what people have told me and then shaping a story out of that so I kind of go in with a certain idea but I won't sort of say right I'm going to film this this and this and this is going to make this film because often like really unexpected things might emerge like the Gaelic songs I didn't think I didn't know that I was going to include those um but I ended up meeting a woman called Lisa and she um at the seaweed festival um that I went to and she was like oh what about this song and sang it for me and then she was able to translate a few other Gaelic songs um for me and then they became included even though I hadn't necessarily thought I would sort of go down that route so it's somehow sort of ever-changing depending on who I'm kind of meeting and talking to. You kind of mentioned this earlier, but I'm always interested in people who work in 16mm film, and especially those where the practice involves being quite hands-on with the fabric of the of the film. Um, what, what, what's the fascination with it, and at what point in amongst your kind of interdisciplinary uh, practice, you decided that 16mm was going to be your kind of go-to, if you like? Yeah, I think... Um, I mean, to be honest, when I was at university, I became very obsessed with the darkroom. And I just spent like, I would go at 9am in the morning and I wouldn't leave until we had to leave at five. And then I would go to the studio and then I'd stay there till 10. Like all the time. It was like, oh, I was at university like so much. Um, And I really like the hands-on-ness of the darkroom. I think that I'm generally quite sort of someone who likes to be on their feet um I don't really like being around computers a huge amount I mean I can I can be that person I can go into that mode but I think like being in a dark room it's quite practical and then there was a technician um so after I did the course at Nowhere then I realized that Central St Martins also had like quite good 16 millimeter equipment including a debris printer and um there was this brilliant and slightly scary technician if he hears this <laughs> called Daniel Copley who is also an experimental filmmaker in his own right um and he like let me end up end up like letting me like use some of the equipment and like de- hand developing my own footage and he was like very like good critical 
teacher like he was very like you have to do everything like really well expose everything really well um and yeah so i started making like loops of films like i made a film called iphone portrait where i like asked lots of people that i knew like friends and family to smoke a cigarette and then i would like film them for like a certain period of time that it took for them to smoke the cigarette like an animation um and then i printed that in the dark in on the debris printer at central st martin's um so i guess like doing like and yeah i mean i don't know if you use the printer but it's like this big kind of machine and you have to put like filters in it and then it like it's really loud and it goes and you have to be in the dark well in red light um and i just really enjoyed doing like that because it felt like oh wow i'm getting actual results i can make a film like just using this kind of old equipment at u- university i could like shoot my own film then i could print it um so yeah i guess like pra- practically i was very like driven in terms of like what was possible before we talk about your residency here in hoik scotland with alchemy film and arts you had your own screening at their annual festival this year what's it like to have your work um scrutinized that that way and and shown in a cinema full of other filmmakers I don't know I think like I think that's because to be honest I've like been very prolific like I've always made quite a lot of work but I've not necessarily always been great at like showing it like after so I was actually and often I've made films for like quite specific contexts like when I made Workington Red that was made for Florence Mine um, and for like audience in Florence Mine so when I saw it shown at Alchemy I was like oh no I totally wouldn't have like I want to go back and edit that film in some ways um but then I guess at the time it was probably right for the context in which I made it um and then even half again that was made through lockdown and it hasn't really been shown anywhere like we showed it online like once to an audience of like maybe like 40 people and then that was it and we didn't really do a huge amount with it after um so I think seaweed was like my first time really like okay this film is not with a specific I'm not necessarily just making it for people who work with seaweed or in a geographical area like it's open to a much broader audience um and have been a bit more proactive about that being shown like submitting it to film festivals um and stuff so yeah I mean I didn't get any like very tough questions in the in the screening I don't like it would have maybe it's quite nice to get some like harder I, I don't know it didn't make me feel too nervous I was kind of like oh maybe I was a bit nervous but I I don't know what to say it was like, like it was nice I mean it was great because I feel like I feel like quite happy that people are taking interest in some of the films I make because I don't I make them very much not with an audience necessarily I mean you can't like deny the audience but it's like I get very inspired by particular subjects and then want to make it and it's kind of like right okay I'm gonna go go down this route and it's kind of a bit obsessive in some some regards um I don't know like whether is that bad to say I wasn't like scared I don't know no not at all (laughs) but I know from past experience that to sit in this auditorium that we're recording the interview in in particular that any time I see anything that I've made on the big screen and I've been fortunate enough to 
have been present at a few screenings of my work that um, my heart races. Yeah, my heart was racing. And I was also like, oh, like, for example, when I made Half, there was like, I obviously hadn't cleaned my camera. And there's a bloody, like, massive hair in the gate. And I was thinking, oh, for God's sake, like, <laughs> this is really bad. And then I was like, also, because I really haven't seen that many of my films like on a big screen, mm-hmm. like, either, because I just haven't seen them on that context. I often edit them on quite a small computer. Um, so yeah, I mean, being quite critical towards them. And then I thought, oh yeah, I would have edited that like down. Um, but it's like that thing, like I thought, oh, maybe I want to go back and edit all these old films. But then I'm also like, well, I guess they were made at a particular time and you just have to kind of carry on and think about like, maybe it's the future stuff which becomes more polished and edited. (laughs) You are currently living in Hoyk as part of a six-month residency with Alchemy Film and Arts, who we've mentioned before, as part of their the TV8, the Flag and the Rich, Rich Soil programme. So this is a programme of artist residencies, film commissions, discussion events and community engagement that's all meant to explore the, the borders, so that's the Scottish borders in Scotland, and the boundaries and lines of Hoyk, the mm. town that we're recording in today, and the Scottish borders... So tell me what it means for you as an artist to have a residency of, of that length. Six months is a good long time in, in, a, in a part of the country that you probably haven't spent that much time in previously. No. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting because I thought until quite recently that my entire like work and the rest of my life would be spent in Cumbria making films about like where I live and grow, grew up and then because I made seaweed and had to kind of come out of my like geographical area a little bit it really like made it sort of opened my the idea that maybe I could make work in other places I think I have been very much like like wanting to interrogate where I've grown up and come from um very much which is what I've done for like quite quite a few years um and I've always been a bit mistrustful about just like going from one place to another place I mean I obviously I did like an exchange in Japan when I was like at university and then I went to Norway um when I was just when after I graduated um but they were like for like two weeks six months um and I don't like two weeks isn't really quite long enough I like kind of like an extended period um so when alchemy approached me to do this residency like it's really come at like a very like perfect time in some ways because I'd sort of was almost finishing seaweed I'd like travel to make seaweed and suddenly felt like oh I could work in another place and also geographically it's not Scottish borders isn't really a huge distance away from where I've kind of grown up six months like sounds like quite a long time but it's also like feels like I don't know I'm like oh it's already been like two months and I've already like met a lot of people but I'm also like it's like amazing how quickly time goes but also like this is the first time where I've done something dedicated for six months and I'm not doing anything else I'm not like splitting my time between making films and working as a project manager I'm just like fully immersed in living in Hoyk and focusing on the piece of work that I'm making and like running workshops and um that that kind of stuff so in in some regards I feel like I'm 
probably going to work like faster than normally I would have previously. Um, and it's also really interesting to move somewhere new. I've like not lived on my own before, which is weird in like a house on my own, which is like, I don't know, I'm like nearly 30. I've never lived on my own. I've always lived with like family or I've lived in a flat share. Um, so yeah, so it's been like really interesting to get to know like my neighbours and like then like meet lots of different people locally, like who are connected with different organisations um, and like different things going on. I've been going to quite a lot of different events and activities locally to, to be inspired by, like to find out a bit more about the film, like what my film will end up like being. Um, yeah, and that's one of the questions I have. So how do you, all these conversations and all this period of discovery and research and, and getting to know people and the, the kind of the, the geography and the terrain, how does your filmmaker brain start to translate that into images that people might see projected on a screen at some point yeah so when I first started this um well before I started Rachel had mentioned this kind of history around seeds being brought in um to the area by imported wool um and obviously because a lot of my work is about kind of plants and like landscape I was an industry I was like oh that's really interesting and one of the first things I did find out that it was it was a true story and I found out this really interesting woman called Ida Hayward had documented this history in the early 20th century she'd made a whole book that she documents over 350 plants that came into like into the rivers locally um that washed out of the mills and then seeded themselves and it was over yeah 350 that she pressed and published a book um, so already that was like a really felt like a bit of a I don't know I was like how how has this happened like that subject's like the perfect subject for me to focus on um, and I see that as my kind of trying to uncover that story will probably be my very much research-based film like in the same way that I approach seaweed it like took the form of like speaking to a lot of people um, interviews like looking through archives I've already been to Edinburgh Botanic Gardens to look at her like records and photos and research um, but then often I have kind of often made stuff alongside each other um, and I think I'm pro- probably going to make a secondary film which is a bit more open about the relationship between people animals and plants um, in Hoik and the surrounding areas I've always been interested in like animals and dead bodies like often make it into the work that I've made which sounds a bit dark but um I'm sort of interested in that like contrast between like the violence of a landscape and like then there's quite a lot of people doing like really positive like nature walks and we I've been on quite a few bat walks and moth moth counting days and like butterfly people studying butterflies and like trying to protect like wildflower meadows and stuff like that so I'm trying to maybe make something which won't be so descriptive or it won't have so much like audio but more of a kind of portrait of a place or like an experience so I've documented the common riding um I've documented quite a lot of the roadkill um and that I will keep relatively open as I go along um and I don't quite know what that'll end up be, but I know that the Ida Haywood will very much be 
one of the films that I'm making. Um, so yeah, just trying to get a sense of the place through what I'm sort of seeing and hearing about. It's been fascinating to hear about your approach to your practice and your journey from art school to your residency here and Hoik and um, get an insight on how your creative brain thinks and your creative processes. Thanks very much for spending time with me. It's been great. Thank you. Has it been right? <laughs> I feel like I've not probably covered enough, but... Into the Mothlight podcast is sponsored by the Film and Video Poetry Society. Into the Mothlight podcast. Into the Mothlight. Into the moth.